This is Customer Experience Leaders, a podcast produced by Rated. It's a show where we reveal the secrets of how great brands delight their customers. What we've got here is Adam say, well, I, I want a free dinner. This, that was a horrible one. Well, that's probably less than what I was thinking of. The customer, when asked, what can I do for you? What do you really want? will probably ask for less in dollars than what the company is willing to give. That's the voice of Nancy Friedman. She's the president of Telephone Doctor, a customer service training organization. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey. Hi, I'm Michael Momsen. So, Michael, this week we have Nancy Friedman, who has spent many, many years in the customer service industry, particularly working in call centers. So, she's an absolute expert when it comes to handling complaints and dealing with irate customers and just general service over the telephone. Yeah, and this, I believe, is our first guest who is a friend of Oprah's. She's been on the Oprah show uh, (laughs) giving tips around customer service. So, we have a real pro, not only around telephone skills, but general customer service skills. And can I say, this is the first episode where I get schooled and it was fantastic. (laughs) It was. So, in this episode, we cover how to handle complaints how to deal with irate customers. But first, we started by asking Nancy about training a service mentality, specifically how you train somebody who this doesn't come to naturally. I'm going to tell you a little story, if I may. Many years ago, I was uh, tapped to work with one of the largest communication companies in the country, in the world, as a matter of fact. And they did had me run around for 20 cities. It was a long tour, and it was all with their call centers. And after we sat at each call center and I listened to calls and walked with the managers and worked a few programs. And at one of the call centers, I said to them, tell me how you hire these people because I was hearing some not very good calls. And she said, well, we give them a personality quiz, good. We give them a typing test, good. We give them a math test because sometimes they have to work with figures. And she named four or five, maybe six or seven tests that they give these people. And I said to her, where is the voice test? And she said, what? Where is the voice test? How do you know they can have a pleasant voice? How do you know they're not monotone? They don't smile. They just, you know, oh my God. (laughs) So this huge company was not testing on voice. So what happens is sometimes the people hire people because they're breathing, not because they're good. (laughs) A warm body. Yeah, exactly. Well, they're desperate. They're short-staffed. It just happens. But the bottom line is it all starts at the hiring process. So if you're not in one of my first things to my clients is I don't care what position you're hiring for from CEO to maintenance, have a conversation with them on the phone because how they talk on the phone to you is how they're going to talk to customers. Let's unpack this a bit. So, Nancy, in your view, what's some good ways of hiring to ensure that you get someone with a good service mentality that may not have all the training and the skills and the tools and the experience yet, but you know that they're a good fit, you know, there's a good foundation here and you can train them and you can be great. How do you hire for someone who's got the ability to have a great service mentality? I don't think there's a trainer alive that will disagree and that is you got to find the right attitude. Right. You can train on all the product and all the other skills, but without that attitude, without that enthusiasm, without that passion, it's going to be hard. So there's several programs and tests and profiles that are used. One is the DISC, the DISC profile. There's Myers-Briggs. Talking with them on the telephone for just five minutes. You know when somebody calls you and they say, hello, 
<laughs> you can tell I, this isn't going to go well. What what are, what are some good questions that you find, um, you know, in that five-minute phone call, like let's call it the initial screening call to see whether this is someone who could have a good service mentality? Well, my first question is, I was just telling Susie, tell me about yourself. And if they can't do that, how are they going to learn about my product? How are they going to learn about if they can't talk about themselves for a minute or two? And when they say, well, what do you want to know? I've got the wrong person. Mm. They've got to be quick enough to answer. Well, I was born in Chicago. I had a very nice family life. I went to grammar school and high school in Chicago and went to work at WGN television. And then I met and married my husband and we moved to California to run two radius, blah, blah, blah. You know yourself better than anybody. And if you can't expose that to somebody, if you can't share that with somebody in a short period of time, they're not going to be able to talk to strangers. And what are you looking for in those conversations? So it sounds like you're looking for energy. You're looking for effectively a smile over the the phone or if you're meeting them in person, you want to be seeing them light up. What are some other things that you're looking for? Energy, enthusiasm, passion, and believe it or not, good English. I mean, poor English is a a killer to customers. It's a killer when you're typing an email and use the wrong there or use the wrong you and. I cringe when I see, you know, top level executives on LinkedIn using the wrong your and the wrong there. I cringe at that. You know, you went to third grade, you had to learn it. And I don't care what country you're from, everybody teaches that. Right. And that's important in terms of, uh, you know, customers feeling like they can actually even just understand it. There's good clarity in the communication um, and, and, and there's a good back and forth. Is there anything else that you're, that you're looking for in those initial sort of screening conversations? Sympathy and empathy are always good. and. Um, you want to tell something that's true, but if I were interviewing somebody this week, I might say to them, well, I'm glad to, you know, I'm glad you're interviewing with me. We're going to have a few questions. Tell me about yourself because I want to enjoy the conversation. I had to put my dog down last week. Mm. So go ahead. Now, if they don't identify, if they don't say, oh, I'm so sorry about your dog. Right. Gloss over that. A, they don't have listening skills. B, they don't have any sympathy. And C, they probably just want to talk about, you know, what they want to talk about. So. That was a true statement. And when I tell people, we just put our dog down, the ones that don't say, oh, I'm so sorry, are usually very self-centered people that just want to talk about something that's important to them. Right. So, pop a few curveballs in, ideally truthfully, to see how well they can, on their own feet, have a bit of curiosity and a bit of empathy around it. This doesn't just have to be all about them because ultimately that's the heart of you know great service delivery is that you're thinking about the other person and, and what's going to give them a good experience. You used a great word, curveball. I've never used that, but that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. You, you know, you throw them, you know, a little boomerang, something that'll go out and come back to them. <laughs> Ownership and responsibility are critically important. Uh, you know, tell me about the last time that you made a mistake. We know that the surveys that I do, and my surveys are done from my audiences, from three to 500 people in an audience. I take surveys and, and I get information from them. And when I ask them, what is the one trait that we want in an employee? A hundred percent of the time, guys, it comes back to responsibility and ownership. They want people to step up to the plate. Yeah, totally. I've only got 23 employees, but when something hits the fan, they can come up to me and say, Nancy, I made a mistake. Uh, I sent the wrong information to Adam. I sent the wrong information, whatever. And my question is, can you fix it? And the answer is always yes. Well, then fix it. You know, and it's a mistake, but you stepped up to it. You admitted it. You told me you didn't point fingers. You know, he did it. She did it. That frustrates me. It's like little kids who stole the candy. He did. 
I want to ask an important question, which is when you have those questions in the screening process, it's going to be clear, you know, who shines through and they're great. And then there's going to be the absolute folks that you can just see, do you know what? They are never going to be able to thrive in a service mentality world. I would say there's this sort of maybe mid bunch, which probably is quite a lot. And especially if it's for people that are early in their career, you know, maybe they're university students, they could also be a bit nervous and they haven't had the ability to develop these skills yet, but they would have the ability in the right environment. And maybe they just need a little bit of a ramp in the training. How do you find the folks that probably aren't passing the test on those questions, but you're like, do you know what? I can take you, you're early in your journey. Uh, I can mold you, you know, with the right training and the right support. You absolutely can, you know, deliver a great service. That's a tricky one. Uh, and also, you know, there are professional interviewees. There are people that job hop so long, they get very good at interviewing. Mm. And they've had a number of jobs. So when I look at the, the resume, and example, owning the radio station. If we saw that an announcer came in and said, well, I was with WWW, KKK, GGG, and they list 22 stations, I don't want them. The job hoppers, your resume fills out a little bit. It's not 100% because not everybody tells the truth on a resume, but there are professional interviewees mm. and they get very good at it. And sometimes you can get fooled. I have been fooled. It doesn't make me a bad person, but it makes me human. You fall in love with somebody and you forget to ask the right questions. So don't leave out the phone call. Even if you're having this wonderful discussion with an interview person and you haven't talked to them on the phone, say, okay, we have one last piece of information. I want you to go in the next room. I want you to call me and we're going to talk on the phone. Even if it's for a face-to-face -face position, doesn't matter because you're still talking to a person. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. So if you're doing a face-to-face -face interview with somebody, you still do the phone call. Yes, I don't care whether the position is for retail face-to-face -face or a phone call center person. You need to have that phone interview because, again, you get English, good or bad. You get tone of voice. You get speed. You get smile. I mean, you get four or five things that you can recognize immediately over the phone that doesn't come through on an interview sometimes. Yeah, it's like once you remove the visual part of what's left and how good are you at communicating without you know, the visual and the body language. So I think that's actually a really interesting one. Let's assume that you, know, you have a great hiring process and interview process and you get some really great people or some people who have got the raw foundations to become great service mindset people. How do you ensure that you train these people to deliver amazing service? Every company I've worked with has a different training program. Some have none. So you can go from zero training to on the job. You know, you'll sit with Susie. Well, what if Susie stinks? What if Susie isn't good? What if Susie hasn't been trained right? So then you're training bad to bad to bad. I'll give you a good example. I hired somebody who was an assistant. She'd been an assistant for all of her life. And she came to me at a middle-age life. And she says, well, you know, I've been an assistant for a long time. I'm pretty good. I said, right. But we have some things here at Telephone Doctor that I'm going to ask you to do. And I need you to live them, breathe them. They are a condition of employment and grounds for termination. And about a month after she had learned some of the techniques, she said, you know, I've been a secretary for some X number of years, and I've learned more in three weeks from your techniques than I have in the 15 years I was a secretary. So we made subtle little differences in somebody who was very good. Example, taking a message, she would always say, well, Bob isn't here or Nancy's not here. Can I take a message? Well, the answer to that is, I don't know, can you? Or worse yet, no, that's okay, I'll call back. And how do we know they will? So can I take a message? It's a big red X, if you will, from the telephone doctor. And I shared with her the positive statement that we make. And she got every message she got down pat and right. So there's just, again, those little subtle things that we do. And 
You start with the basics. Everybody thinks they're good at customer service. There's nobody that says, I stink at customer service. You're killing me. I need to know what the correct way to take a message is. <laughs> uh, no, let, let me take a guess. Let me take a guess. Let me see if I pass before checking out your online training. You would say something along the lines of, hey, Nancy's not in right now. Um, I know she would really value to hear from you. Let me just, uh, like, what, what, what was it regarding? And I'll make sure we, uh, she gets back to you uh, as, as soon as possible. Well, you're close. On the uh, one to ten scale, I give you about a five or six. Oh, <laughs> damn! Well, at least you didn't fail. Okay. Thank you. I just love that getting close is a five out of ten. I thought close like, would be an eight. <laughs> if you called my office tomorrow and said, "Is Nancy there?" and I wasn't, they'll say, "Nancy's out of the office." They'll probably tell you where I am if they know. If I've said, "Look, I'm going to the doctor's office," they'll say, "Nancy went on a doctor appointment. I expect her back about one thirty. My name is Valerie. I work with her. How can I help you? What can I do for you? And she gets every single message. Now, what was different about that? Number one, we didn't ask what it was referring to. There's a special way to do that. There's a mentality of how to get the information, which she gets every single time. And the ending there was, what you've done is tell the truth. You told a little story. Yeah, yeah. You said, hey, Nancy, is, she went out to lunch. She'll be back about 1.30. My name is, you reintroduce yourself. My name is Valerie and I'm her executive assistant. How can I help you? What can I do for you? Now you, at, you say those twice. What can I do for you? How can I help you? Because they don't hear the first one. They don't hear it. And what I tried to explain to her, I said, they don't know how good you are. So you need to create this three seconds. I don't think it takes five seconds to say. Yeah, that's great. Although it sounds like it's a big package, but it's not. You know, we were talking about whether people are just sort of born with a service mentality or not. And I think there's going to be some folks that are just not cut out for service. And, and so that's fine. But then there's this sort of large segment that has the capability and some are a little bit more proactive in the nature, etc. But actually, there's a lot that can come down to just really good training, right? Like I remember actually when I was studying at university, I was a McDonald's manager for a while, actually. It was some of the best training that I had as a 17, 18 year old. But there's a couple of things that still uh, are still so clear to me, right? Like one was never say to a customer, oh, sorry to keep you waiting or or like remind them about the negativity of the being in this line, you say, thank you so much for your patience. You know, really appreciate that. What's your order? What are some other big things that you found, you know, is really helpful to sort of almost kickstart people into service mentality as they start their training journey? We created a video called the five forbidden phrases and they're not dirty. They're not four letter words, but they're just phrases that are negative. And we created the video and then offered the positive alternative. Bottom line, one of them is when you tell somebody, hang on a second, I'll be right back. Well, that's a downright lie. That's a downright fib. So we created a home, a little segment, a little two-second line that satisfies the customer because being put on hold is one of the number one frustrations of the public and not just in America. It's universal. You know, the United States does not have a monopoly on poor customer service. It's everywhere. Instead of saying, hang on a second, I'll be right back, which bottom line is a big fib because you're not right back and nothing takes a second, absolutely nothing. So I would say to you, uh, Adam, if you're able to hold, I can get you that information. It may take me two or three minutes. I need to check another computer. Are you able to hold? I've given you, again, a little story. So you know I'm going to another computer or I may have said, uh, you know, I need to check with my supervisor. I need to check another log or something. You tell them a little bit of what you're going through. You say two, three minutes. If you're going to get something that's going to take 15 minutes, then you say, you know, Adam, the information you need is going to take me about 15, 20 minutes. I sure don't want to put you on hold for that long. Let me have a number 
and I will return the call. Is today or tomorrow better for you? And you would say, well, tomorrow's fine. I got a lot to do today. And then they get back with the information. So it's just about positive alternatives. No, that's great. And it sounds like a big part of it also is actually just being honest about what's happening. So then the customer can have empathy for what the situation is. So you using the previous example and saying, actually, Nancy's at the doctor's right now and, you know, blah, 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 blah. How can I help? Well, then all of a sudden, I'm not frustrated that I can't speak to Nancy because, of course, she's a human and she's allowed to go to the doctor <laughs> or, you know, I really want to help you here. Actually, the information that you need is in a bunch of different systems and I've got to like check with this other guy. In my experience, that takes, you know, about an hour or two. You know, I don't want to keep you waiting. Like, let me go work on this. It's a top priority for me and I'll call you back straight away as opposed to, you know, leave that with me and, uh, you know, we'll get back to you. I whenever. have a question. I have a question for you. What do you mean by straight away? If I was interviewing you, I would say, now you just said straight away. That has no time limit to it. It has no functionality to it. It could be straight away. It could be three days from now. I, I don't. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's bad at all. I just don't. No, you're right. It's it's basically being clear about expectations in all our little. Because what happens is in our vocabulary, we use these filler type words, and they actually mean different things for different people. And straight away means to me that you are a high priority and I'm going to get to this in my highest bit of priority. But actually, it's a good point. Like straight away for me could be next day, but straight away for someone else could be in an hour and therefore we all of a sudden have a missed expectation. So, what's probably best is saying, and I will call you back or I'll get back to this before, you know, 3 p.m. today <laughs> or whatever it may be. You want to exceed their expectations. So, putting a deadline on you allows you failure. So, we don't suggest that. We ask them, when do you need it? And eight out of 10 times, somebody will say, well, I'm going on vacation. I won't need this till um, November 7th. <laughs> oh my goodness, you are going to break your neck straight away and go find something. I love it. This is like live live coaching session from Nancy. I'm, I'm getting, <laughs> I, 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 it's, it's such a good point though because, and hey, I, I actually think that I'm like pretty customer centric and pretty customer focused. I drive it into our team all the time saying, hey, reword that email. That's not empathetic enough. Like that's, you know, using your internal lingo, like the customer doesn't care about that. So, I actually think that I'm pretty good about this stuff and you've just schooled me in uh, three or four areas spot on. It's actually such a good point because I'm imposing my own thing what I think is a good experience on them, which is I'll get to it before 3 p.m. And so, I think that that's what they're going to be happy with. But actually, I should be asking them, when do you need this thing by? And like, tell me how important is this to you and how urgent is this and how do you actually maybe need it? And what's the best way for us to get this to you or to get this result? I'd like to understand, like, what is a good ongoing training program like? A good training program is something that the employees like, not that the trainer likes. A good training program is when the employees walk out and say, that was good, that was fun, I can use something. Training is an investment in employees and it's really a gift to the employees. They don't realize it that way, but if they're not training them, they could be fired. So the bottom line is, I always tell people that, you know, I'm here because they love you. When somebody brings me in and I got, you know, 150 people sitting in the audience, I'm saying, I'm not here because you're doing something wrong. I'm here because they think enough of you that maybe you can pull out a, a tip or two that'll make your job easier. I'm sort of interested in what would you think is for, so let's say, frontline staff, more you know, customer service related industries, so retail, hospitality, you know, folks on the phone, people that are you know engaging with customers on a regular basis. Like, what do you think is the sort of minimum levels of training? You know, is it a weekly sessions? Is it you know monthly? Is it a structured program that you're taking them through? Like, what do you think is kind of you know the bare minimum to make sure that everyone's leveling up and uh, you know getting better at this stuff? Let me ask you a question. Do you brush your teeth every day? I do. 
Okay. Why shouldn't they be trained every day? Why shouldn't something be done every day? I don't understand people say, well, February is our customer service month and we're going to have a customer service program in February. But what are you going to do the rest of the year? Well, that's <laughs> other things to do. And it's just an ongoing, it's like customer service week. I don't believe in that. Customer service should be practiced 365, 24-7. And it's easy. You get techniques and you utilize them every single day and you, you listen to calls. And that's a whole other podcast. It's not done enough recording of calls and, and seeing how employees handle a call. Even myself, and sometimes, you know, I'll say, I'd like to record this call for archive purposes, and they'll say, sure. And I come back and I listen to myself, did I really say that? Wow. One of the things that we do is, with permission, we'll record a, a customer engagement as well. And then, actually, rather than coaching them through, I actually get the folks to play it back. And then I say, you know, how would you rate yourself in that? What did you do well? What didn't you do well? And what were some of the key things you could have done differently? And you know what? They end up picking up 80% of the things anyways. And then they actually have a much stronger learning moment, actually, than if I had sort of gone, hey, I just listened to this call. You need to do this better. You should have done that. Why did you do this? Yeah, well done. Well done. Because it, to learn from your own mistakes is the easiest way to fix them. But then there are some people that don't hear their mistakes. Example, I have a, had one lady and she's still with us and she started every single sentence to a customer. Everything I heard, every time I recorded it, when anybody asked her a question, she would say, well, actually, the answer to that is, or actually, we can do that, or actually, yes. And I pulled her in one day and I said, are you aware that you start every sentence with the word actually? She said, well, actually, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she laughed. And then said, you said, well, actually, you do. <laughs> <laughs> but it stopped her and she stopped doing it. So listening to your own calls is painful, very painful. Because nobody thinks they sound like they do. Nobody thinks they really said what they said. But we did and we do and that's how we sound to people. Nancy, welcome to the quick fire round. This is our lightning segment where we ask you questions and you've got 10 seconds to answer. Are you ready? I am ready. Anything but my weight. Go ahead. <laughs> great. All right. What brand or company do you look up to as a great example of customer experience? Apple. No question. Apple Care. If you've never called them, it's an experience that is beyond beyond anything I've ever felt. Fantastic. Nancy, what job did you learn the most in? At my parents' dinner table. Ooh. What was your job at your parents' dinner table? <laughs> <laughs> Usually cleaning up. That's where we discussed the daily events and what went on and everything. And um, I went to the School of Hard Knocks. So the bottom line is everything I've learned came from uh, family incidents and situations and funny things. And humor was our drug of choice. So that's where I learned everything. What skill are you terrible at? Oh, cooking. Cooking, cooking, cooking. <laughs> I sold my kitchen. <laughs> uh, there's no use for it. Uh, that's personal. But skill, um, I, don't, I don't do numbers well at all. Uh, you do not want me doing your payroll. You do not want me doing anything with books. Uh, I don't do numbers well at all. What job throughout your career have you enjoyed the most? That is a great question. Because I enjoy life, I enjoyed every single thing I've done. And I started out in advertising at a radio, at a television station. Then I worked with my, and we've been entrepreneurs since since forever. So everything I've done, I've enjoyed. Um, I've never used the word bored. I don't get bored. I don't want to be bored, and I don't want to be with anybody who gets bored. So um, that's just my DNA. Uh, <laughs> do I get in a bad mood every once in a while? Yes. 
but I get out of it quick. Nancy, what is the best advice that you've ever received? From my mother, which keeps my feet on the ground. And she used to tell me, Nancy, there's very little new, just new people doing it. And then final question, Nancy, what is your guilty pleasure? (laughs) Chocolate. (laughs) I can get on board with that. (laughs) So let's talk about when things hit the fan. Imagine that you have an angry customer who is complaining about some sort of an issue. How do you train staff to manage these escalating situations? That is far more difficult than just good customer service. So we have a a wonderful video program called How to Handle the Irate Customer, and it covers the ASAP technique. Some people think ASAP means, oh, as soon as possible. Well, it does, but it doesn't when you're handling an irate customer. So the ASAP technique is acknowledge and apologize. S stands for sympathize or empathize. The second A stands for accept the responsibility. And the P stands for prepare to help. It's just a simple thing. We also have a program on service recovery because what happens when the S hits the fan? So you need to go into service recovery mode. That takes somebody who wants to take the time to help somebody because the, the simple question after you've handled it and they're still not happy and they're still frustrated is, Well, Adam, let me ask you a question. What would you like me to do? What do you want to have done, sir? That's a great question. Mm. What we've got here is Adam say, well, I I want a free dinner. That was a horrible one. Well, that's probably less than what I was thinking of. Do you know what I'm saying? The customer, when asked, what can I do for you? What do you really want? Will probably ask for less in dollars than what the company is willing to give. Do you know what? It actually reminds me of, uh, there's a great book called The Coaching Habit. It's one of the best books that I've uh, read as a manager tips. And it talks about when you've got, uh, you know, an internal conversation and someone's not happy about something, actually asking two really great questions, which is, what's it really at the heart of the issue here for you? And then you kind of hear that. And the next one is, what would you like me to do about it? What would you like from me now? And they're actually like questions that feel awkward to ask, but actually you're kind of like, oh, that's what the heart of the issue is. Oh, and you want me to do this? Actually that's fine. That's actually pretty easy. It's no big deal. Like, sure, let's do this thing. They're sort of just getting to the heart of it and going, well, how would you like me to resolve this? And it's pretty rare for people to have unrealistic expectations as well, actually. One thing that I was observing as you were talking through, you know, asking the question, what would you like me to do about it? There's kind of a few like meta things that are happening during that time. You know, the customer has to take a moment to be very introspective about what really the issue is that they're complaining about because it's easy when you're getting more and more inflamed about something to kind of stack on levels of severity that aren't really there because we want to justify why we're angry and then we want to be angry because we have some justification for it. These things reinforce each other. So there's this meta thing that happens where it actually kind of peels back those layers and goes, ah, actually to solve this, all you have to do is just give me a free dinner and then I will feel like I've been heard. I, I will feel like I haven't wasted my money. You feel validated. Yeah, and I feel validated, right? And then there's the second point which you talked about there, which is the actual resolution is sometimes less than what the company was willing to provide. So, you, you kind of get away with a little bit of arbitrage, I suppose, there. Or perhaps the solution is different to what the organization was willing to offer. And so, you actually get the opportunity to fix The issue, which so often, you know, companies will try and do things that don't actually resolve the problem. And it's so frustrating because you're going, why aren't you listening to me? But maybe the customer isn't actually communicating well enough. And so, we just need to ask them in plain English, what would fix this? 
Right. And you said something that I, I need to correct you because I don't want anybody to oh, take it's it away. it's my turn. <laughs> All right, come on. <laughs> school him, school him. Go, go, yeah, go. You said, well, well, because I am a good listener. You said, what would you like me to do about it? I did not say about it. Those were your words. What would you like to have happen? What would you, what would you want from me? Is better than, what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> well, that's how it sounds to the person. You didn't. Yeah, it's quite aggressive. It's like, I just want this thing to go away. I just want you to go away. Like, let's just resolve this thing. You're annoying. Yeah. What do you want me to do about it? Yeah. So it's sort of like your meal at a fine restaurant. It's all about presentation. Yeah. It's all about how you say it and what you say. What are some tips around calling a escalating complaint so as someone is getting angrier and angrier and angrier because i think saying things like calm down or even sometimes yes i'm listening to you i'm listening to you or like i really understand some of those things can actually be more inflammatory especially when they're actually not doing that and they're kind of like just reading the script or they're doing the thing that they were told to say can actually make things worse so what what are some good ways to kind of just cool the situation down to then have some practicalities because you're just dealing with raw human emotion that's getting angrier and angrier there's an old saying and we created, it should never take two people to give good customer service. Oh, I like that. We should be trained to handle it. But every once in a while, you know, somebody's going to ask, let me talk to the president of this company. <laughs> or, let me, you know, I want to talk to your supervisor. And that's on them. It's not because you did anything wrong. It's because there are those types of people who need to be felt important to talk to the top dog. You with me on that? I totally. Yeah. There's an ego at play potentially, or they just don't believe that they have the empowerment to resolve their issue. Or the person talking has not been sounded confident enough. Yeah. Or they didn't do all the techniques they were taught. But when somebody is off the cuff there, or that even sometimes it's good for the customer service person to say, Mr. Jones, I'm not making you very happy. Would you like to talk with my supervisor? And it's just a genuine, I take responsibility, there seems to be, but it's how you say it. Mr. Jones, I, I would love to make you happy, but something's not clicking here. And I do have my supervisor, Bob Jones, and, you know, if you would like to talk with him, let me get him on the telephone, or he can call you back later today or tomorrow, which would you like? Well, you talked about giving me a free dinner, I'll take that. And sometimes that happens when you suggest to escalate the call. Are there any statements that you think can be helpful? Some actual sort of like tips that you would have to just bring the level of anger down. Uh, that's got to be done in the front end. It's got to be done on the front end. And you can ask things like, all right, um, Adam, you've got a complaint on the one to 10 scale. How angry are you at me? Oh, interesting. <laughs> so I'm taking your temperature. Well, Nancy, I'm about a nine. I'm really PO'd if that's what happened. Well, tell me what happened. Let's see what I can do for you. What I don't want to have happen and I don't know about in your country, but in this country, the cable companies are notorious for having scripts. And so you hear, oh, Mrs. Friedman, I am so sorry you are having that trouble. I know how you feel. And I always go, you don't know how I feel. To one little girl, I said, do me a favor. She said, what is that? I said, turn the paper that you're reading from over and pretend I'm your mother. <laughs> and she said, really? I said, yeah, just, let's just talk. And that, and my husband always says, stop trying to train them one by one by one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it was so frustrating to hear this script come through. And, I, you know, scripts are for actors. Yes, yeah, so there will be phrases that will help at the right times. 
in terms of the training to ensure that they follow this, because obviously scripts are just going to, you're going to end up with robotic people. My question is like, is a good way to role play this stuff, do you think? Role playing is for actors. That's what actors do. They role play the audition. You cannot diffuse false anger. You can take two people and say, okay, you be the good guy, you be the bad guy. And the bad guy will never let the good guy win. Never, never, never. It just won't happen. You know, I don't know if you know who Regis Philbin is. He used to have a cable show. When I got to the studio, they said, okay, uh, we're going to pretend that Regis bought a toaster and we're going to pretend that Regis is mad. And I said, let's not do that. Let's just talk about something else. He said, no, I want, I want you to pretend you're the customer service manager. And I said to the producer, which I realize now, you never tell a producer what to do. Never, never, never. <laughs> I said, it's not going to work. It's just you cannot diffuse false anger. And the, the more I said that, he said, well, that's what we're going to do. So I wish I, and I still have the, the dub of the tape. It, it was horrible. It was the worst interview I've ever done. Regis made faces while he was doing everything and it went down. And I just said after that, I'll never put role playing into my, now that, that being said, it's not a bad thing. It's just ineffective. You're better off having the regular coaching of all the real life scenarios and, and playing those back and, and what could you learn? Or talking about it, just talking about it. Like, you know, but listening to the calls is the best role playing you can do, listening to the calls. So Nancy, we'd like to go to a couple of listener questions now. The first one is, how do we ensure that every customer consistently receives great service every single time? It's difficult, but it takes constant monitoring constant training. I used Apple before. You said, who do I respect? I don't know if you have an Apple phone, but it would be worth your time to call the Apple Care number. It is beyond. And these are young kids, millennials, doing what they love. Now that's part of it. But they've been trained well. Right. They're trained. And even when they don't have an answer, they use positive statements and they're fun. And that's part of training. If it's not fun, your employees are not going to have a good time. They're not going to like it. So our training is make it fun. Our motto is it's fun to be good. And it's enjoyable when you feel empowered and that you are resolving problems, right? Like that's an enjoyable thing. Well, don't you love it when you can help a friend and they say, oh, hey, Michael, thank you. You were super. That's customer service. Yeah. And yet you just maybe picked up a bottle of wine for somebody or some bread or butter on the way home. You did something special and they were appreciative and you don't think of it as customer service, but it is. That's true. Yeah, that's true. The next listener question we have is, how do you train staff to have a genuine care factor for delivering this great service? Or is it really just something that you have or you don't have? Well, that's asked a lot. And that's a very good question. You know, there's an old saying, customers don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So it's a care gene. And if you don't have that care gene, and some people don't, some people don't give a you know what. And they show it and their answers are, well, that's the best I can do. Happened to me today when I called for the washing machine guy, the dishwasher machine guy. And I said, I need it here by one o'clock. Well, we'll try to do the best we can. Well, that wasn't good enough for me. That's a weak, wimpy word, try. You're going to try. I expect you to try and do the best. He's either going to be there by one or Mrs. Friedman, he won't be there at one. I mean, I could have accepted that versus, well, we'll try to do the best we can. Useless. <laughs> I'd hate to uh, receive a call from you, Nancy. You. <laughs> I'm a good customer. I don't complain. I, I don't make a scene. And I'd rather just slap them with my wallet and not return. And the last listener question, Nancy, is 
let's just say you've got good training, you've got the right people. What are some good tips around nurturing customer service culture like as a team? You've got the ongoing training, you've got the right folks. Culturally, how do you sort of bring this to life and have the team excited about that? A compliment will ensure continued success. So managers or even coworkers or team leaders need to say, hey, I heard that call. It sounded super. Thank you. Mm. I mean, who doesn't like a compliment? Yeah, so shine the spotlight on the behavior that you're seeing is great. You don't have to put the crown on people's head and you know bow down to them. But I mean, it's like saying, hey, you look super today. Right. I like the beard on you. You're sexy. That's cute. But the bottom line is everybody likes a compliment. I appreciate that, Nancy. Oh, yeah, I had to throw that in. <laughs> um, everybody likes a compliment. And when managers go by and don't acknowledge it, it's not a terrible thing. But even, you know, those little slap on the back, hey, good call. And obviously, if, you, if they record the calls and they make a big deal about a good call, it's good. So compliments are always welcome anywhere to anybody. Thank you for, uh, for coming on the show. We had an absolute blast. Yeah, absolutely. It's been great. Well, it's this side of the river too, so that's good. Well, 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 Michael, we got absolutely schooled. <laughs> <laughs> We got schooled. I got schooled. I uh, So did I. That was a really fun discussion with Nancy. You know, one of the first times I think that we've gone into an interview and come out with a few battle scars. So, mm. <laughs> But, you know, for good reason. Nancy is an absolute pro when it comes to telephone service and terminology and tone of voice and just like kind of the subtle clues that you're communicating through language. And I'm glad that she pulled us up because it was uh, a lot of fun, but we learned a lot in the process. So why don't we sum up our key takeaways from this discussion. Michael, you can kick us off. When she was schooling me and as I reflected back on it, the thing that stood out the most for me was that great service and great experience isn't actually the intent that you have. Like I had good intent by saying, hey, I'll get straight to you. It's actually clarity of expectations. And so being very clear about what's happening and why and when you'll get back to someone. So saying, sure, this and this needs to happen and actually trying to even clarify the expectations first actually before saying how I'm going to get back to you before four o'clock because that's your own deadline. Those things were fantastic and really what it comes down to is the clarity of expectations and then delivering on that is what great customer experience and service is, not the intent and being friendly and bubbly. That's an important part but actually it's about being very clear in how you communicate and how you deliver on those expectations. Yeah, awesome. And a nice kind of follow on from that is the second takeaway for this episode, which was you can tell the customer the reasons why you're taking so long to do something or, or the, the reasons why you're maybe not available or, or whatever, because that little moment of storytelling, you know, Nancy's at a doctor's appointment or I need to go and check this other computer system. It creates this really human moment, this moment of empathy between you and the customer. I think over the last 30 plus episodes of this podcast, we've spoken a lot about how we can create more empathy with our customers. But this little moment of storytelling allows us to create that empathy in the opposite direction for our customers to have a bit of empathy for us. Number three for me is... You know, we had a really good discussion around hiring and how do you hire for service mindset and then how do you like train for them. And for me, what really stood out is the magic starts at hiring and screening for service mindset and, you know, some great tips of, you know, getting people on the phone. That screening for service mindset needs to be the core of the hiring process because if you don't have the right foundation of great people, then you're sort of fighting an uphill battle around, you know, wanting to deliver a great service and a great experience. 
Awesome. And the next one was that you shouldn't be afraid of asking the direct question. To unpack it a little bit, there was a few examples where, you know, you might be dealing with an irate customer on the phone, they're complaining and getting heated. And Nancy's suggestion was simply ask, what would you like me to do for you? What would you like to have happen? Very simple, very direct, and almost in a way, very diffusing because it's like, I want to help you. What can I do for you? Just not being afraid of that direct question. In a way, it is, again, very empathetic to the customer and saying, well, like, what can I do for you? And sometimes what they want as a resolution may be different to what you're expecting them. And finally, the last one is the analogy of brushing teeth, which is training should not just be a once-off event, should not just be when you hire someone, shouldn't be done every quarter. Training should be an ongoing thing and that review and monitor and having that as part of the culture and sort of woven into the DNA and how you run your business is really what allows great service to come to life. Awesome. So, those are our five takeaways. Let's sum them up one more time. Number one was great service is clear expectations. Number two, tell the reasons why as a peek behind the curtain. Number three is the magic starts at hiring. Four was don't be afraid to ask the direct question. And finally, training is like brushing your teeth. We should be doing it all the time. Well, wonderful. That was a great discussion with Nancy. Yes, and if you enjoyed the schooling that we got and maybe you want a bit of schooling yourself and for your team, I actually can recommend the resources that they have, which is at serviceskillslight.com for sort of more SME and serviceskills.com for enterprise. I'm actually signing up ourselves for the team at Rated. I think all the tips that you heard in our podcast and many more are there and I found them to be really, really valuable. All right, thanks for listening and we'll speak to you next time. See ya. Customer Experience Leaders is produced by Rateit. Rateit provides a better way to listen to your customers, to understand what they're thinking, to empower your staff, and ultimately to deliver amazing customer experiences every single time. And they have a range of different ways of delivering that service. So, to find out more, head to the website rateitapp.com. That's R-A-T-E-I-T-A-P-P.com. This podcast is produced in partnership with Wavelength Creative. This episode was produced by me and Christopher Lawson, who also edited and mixed the show. Our theme music is by Icolix, Peter Cooley, and The Shrugs. If you enjoyed this discussion, head back into the archive. We've got over 30 episodes with some amazing customer experience leaders for you to check out. To find out more, head to the website, customerexperienceleaders.com. Thanks so much for listening and we'll speak to you next time. Oh,